fact, we see that a lot with the study we're going through. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, we're studying the book and person of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah has so much great application for us today where we begin to ask, okay, God, what are you leading me to do? God, what is, is next for me and my family and my life? And we've been saying a lot that God's not done with this yet that God's not done. We see that through the story of Nehemiah. He's not done yet. We see that in our own lives, that God's not done with you. He's not done with your marriage. He's not done with your family. He's not done with your, your work environment. He's most certainly not done with our church. So as we've been seeing the story of Nehemiah, remember he was a Jewish person that was born in Persia. And that's important because there's two groups of Jews at this point. There's the Jews that are in captivity in Persia, over there, they are held captive by the Persian Empire, the Persian kings. But then you have another group of Jews that are scattered all throughout the region and have started to make their way back to their home in Jerusalem. Now, the only problem is when they started to get back to their home, the walls around the city were completely broken down. Everything had been destroyed by the Babylonians and then later the Persians. So when Nehemiah hears about this, Again, he's living in Persia. He hears about what his hometown is like and the struggles and the troubles that his people are going through, and it breaks his heart. And as we've seen through the story of Nehemiah so far, we see that God is going to use Nehemiah to rebuild the city walls, to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Now, the story of Nehemiah is, yes, it's about building walls, but it's so much more than just Nehemiah putting some bricks around their city. Now, the story of Nehemiah is about God restoring what was once broken. The story of Nehemiah is about God not just restoring what's broken, but also using other people through that restoration process. So with that as a backdrop, we've been asking these two questions every single week. We're going to ask them again today. Here they are. First question, what in your life might God want to restore? What's broken in your life? When you look at your life, the people around you, what does God maybe want to restore in your life? You see something broken. What might God want to restore? Second part of that question, what Nehemiah began to ask is, God, how do you want to use me? So what's broken in your life? What does he want to restore in your life? But also, how might God want to use you? Because we see God using people, not just through the story of Nehemiah, Old Testament, New Testament, and in our lives today, God desires to use us to restore the broken things. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the story of Nehemiah. Thank you for your word that we can open, read, and study. And I pray that as we ask those two questions, that God, what, what is broken in our own lives? What would you like to see restored in our lives? I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and begin to whisper those answers. Pray also that we would have an open heart and open hands to let you use us. Maybe with the brokenness around us, maybe even have a part to play in the brokenness in our own lives, but God, that we would be willing to be used by you for the good of others and the glory of your name. In your name we pray, amen. So when I was in high school, um, I went on a mission trip overseas. The only time I've done an overseas mission trip was when I was a senior in high school, and we went to Jamaica, which on the front end of that, it sounded like the perfect place to go to a mission. I was like, we go to Jamaica, isn't that like Caribbean area? And you get there, there's actually a lot of work to be done. So with my high school youth group, uh, we went to Jamaica. There's about 20 of us that went, spent an entire week working at one of the missions there in Jamaica. Most of our job while we were there was to build this kind of add-on to the school and the church. 
So that was most of what we did from the time we got up till a little bit after lunch. Worked hard, starting to build up these walls, build up the area to get it ready for then the actual workers to come in and finish everything off. So we did some of the hard labor. But then in the afternoon, especially because it got so hot, man, we were just fried. And we're high schoolers at the point. So it's like, you can only get so much out of us in the beginnings of a mission trip. So worked really hard in the morning. By the afternoon, we were toast and we were absolutely exhausted and we were done, and we would spend most of the afternoon meeting the locals, talking with different people. We ran different like VBS camps that weren't as labor intensive, and so we did that in the afternoon. It was about halfway through the week, and what we were waiting on was late. We were waiting on this big shipment to be dropped off of cinder blocks so we can continue to build up this side of the school inside of the church. In order to do that, we had to have enough cinder blocks and we had run out. So we kept waiting for this new shipment to come in and it finally did. The only problem was, like I said, about halfway through the week and it got dropped off late in the afternoon. Remember, I said we do most of our hard work in the morning, so we didn't have to work as hard in the afternoon, but this big truck pulls up, just dumps all of these cinder blocks on one end of the missionary's uh, property. Missionary comes up to me and a couple of the other seniors and says, it can't stay there. If those cinder blocks stay where they are, chances are good that a lot of it will get stolen because we've got to move it to the other side of the property so that you guys can finish your work the next day. And I remember being the one that had to, as a senior, we're leaders on this trip. So me and a couple of the other seniors, we go back into one of the inside buildings and everybody's just laying around. I mean, completely laying around. And I said, guys, We've got some cinder blocks we need to move, so let's go. There wasn't a lot of motivation whatsoever with the rest of these, uh, at this point about 18 with me and another senior trying to get everybody motivated. And so then I go into just my inspiring senior speech. Guys, this is what we signed up for. This is why we're here, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. They need us. And still, I just, leave us alone, we'll deal with it tomorrow. Like, no, you don't understand. So I'm trying to explain, 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 and it's not working whatsoever. So then finally I said something. I was like, guys, it's not that much. There's not that many cinder blocks. If we each take two bricks and two trips, we will be done super fast. I said, it's not that hard. Two bricks, two trips. You can do that, right? Two bricks, two trips. Say it with me. Two bricks, two trips. And their excitement was about the same as your excitement right now. But at least the two bricks, two trips got them up. So they slowly started getting up. They walked over. And remember when I said there wasn't that many bricks? This is when they started to see that in reality, there was a whole bunch of bricks. But I said, guys, it's okay. There's a lot of us. Two bricks, two trips. So we get the two bricks. Everybody does their first trip. And they look back to the pile and not even a dent was in the pile. <laughs> They said, Brian, you said we only had to do two trips. I was like, well, you know, I give or take. Come on, we can do this. So for the rest of that trip, as well as the rest of my high school career, in fact, when I still connect with some of those friends, they still say, two bricks, two trips, huh, Brian? <laughs> it was two bricks and 20 trips is what it ended up actually being. See, there's this idea, though, that my dad raised me with, and I'm sure many of you have heard this phrase, many hands make light, you know this, work. Many hands make light work. If it was just one or two people, it would have been a whole lot more than the amount of trips that we actually took. 
But the idea is if we all work together, we all do our part, we all carry some of the weight, not one person carrying all the weight, but if we can all do something, then the job gets done. But it can't be relied on just one or two individuals or just a small group of people. It's everybody all in and you do as many trips as it takes. I deal with this as a parent. Parents, you deal with this all the time. Anytime you say, hey, we need to clean up our house. This last week, my parents came to visit this last week. So, of course, we do the mad dash and try to get everything cleaned up. Kids, we got to clean up the house. Oh, it's not my mess. I'm like, A, yes, it is. B, it doesn't matter whose mess it is. We're all going to clean it up. So then we start going room by room. Okay, I need somebody to pick up this. I need somebody to pick up. Well, that's hers and that's his. And I didn't do that. I didn't even know we had this. I'm like, guys, it doesn't matter. We're all going to work together because many hands make light work and we get the job done, but we have to do it together. You see, week one in the story of Nehemiah, we saw Nehemiah's heart break because of the broken down walls. When he heard about the struggles and troubles of his people, his heart truly broke. And we read about the pain when we read his prayer that basically ended with, God, use me. God, give me an opportunity to do something because my heart hurts so much for my people in my hometown. The next part in chapter two, we see that he had an opportunity. He had to wait several months before finally Nehemiah got the opportunity he needed. And he presented his request before the king, which was a dangerous thing, a risky thing for Nehemiah to to do. But God was with him and he prayed through the opportunity and the king gave him everything that he asked for. So now Nehemiah is taking taking supplies and taking instructions and taking everything that he needs, including some of the the Persian king's army's officials. And he starts heading to Jerusalem and he begins to survey the wall and he sees as bad as he had heard it was. With his own eyes, he finally sees the destruction of the wall. And as he sees it, he begins to recognize, obviously, that he cannot do this by himself. Up until this point, the broken heart and the prayer and the seeking an opportunity and the asking of the king, like that was all on Nehemiah. He did all of that on his own with the help of God. But now he recognizes, I cannot do anything else on my own. So he starts to get the rest of his people together, gets the rest of the Jews in the area together. And we're going to pick it up in Nehemiah chapter two, starting in verse 17. If you have a Bible, follow along. If not, if you need a Bible, we have Bibles for you for free over here by the the coffee, the cafe area, our gift to you. So you can have it, use it, read it, and bring it with you next week. Nehemiah chapter two, starting in, in verse 17. Here's what he said to the rest of his people. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Look, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told him about how the the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Real quick, three parts I want you to to notice, and then one we're going to focus in on. He starts by saying, you guys see the reality here. What broke my heart, I know it breaks your heart too. So they find something in common. This is a problem. They bring up, he brings up the common or the the current reality that everybody would have seen and everybody would have felt the same way about. So he brings it up. You know, you can see, this is obvious. I'm not making up a problem. This is a problem. But then he says this us word, You know what trouble we're in. Here's the reality. So here's what we're going to do about it. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. He doesn't say, so here's what I'm going to do. 
He says, so here's what we are going to have to do. If we all agree that this is a problem, well, here's what it's going to take. And it's going to take all of us. The last thing to notice, we talked about this last week, is he gives God all the credit through this. He tells them not just the story of how his heart broke and how he came to have all this supplies and, and the blessing from the king of Persia. He points out, he's like, no, it was because the gracious hand of God had been on me. So he says, no, God is moving and we're following. God is leading and we're going to stay in step with him. But it's going to take all of us. And that's what leads us into chapter 3 what we're going to look at today. Now, as we go through chapter three, there's a couple things you need to be aware of. First of all, pay attention to the community side of things, the us factor, how it's not just one person or a few people, like it's the entire group of people working together. So look for that because we're going to see what it takes to actually have a thriving and healthy community. And you could be thinking of community in your own family. What does it mean to have community within your own household? What does community look like within your neighborhood? What does community look like in your workplace? What does community look like here at church? So as we read through this, what can we learn from the story of Nehemiah and these people on healthy, growing, thriving community? We're going to look through that one. The other part of this you just need to be aware of is, you know, like if you grew up in Sunday school, you know how the Sunday school teacher would call on you to read different parts of, of yeah, this would be the section of scripture you would never want them to call on you for. So I'm just going to let you know ahead of time, I'm going to butcher every single one of these names and you're just going to go along with it. But the good news is you don't know how to say it any better than I know how to say it. So it doesn't really matter at this point. So here it is, Nehemiah chapter three, starting in verse one. Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zakur, son of Imri. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassaniah. They laid the beams, set up the doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Merimoth, that's a name, Merimoth, son of Uriah, and grandson of Hakaz, repaired the next section of the wall. Beside him was Meshulam, son of Barakah, the grandson of Meshezebel, and then Zadok, son of Banan. We can stop right there just for a little bit. <laughs> Notice what's happening here. I mean, that's literally the entire, that's in the entire chapter three, is this person, son of this person, grandson or grand, grandparent of this person, and here's the part of the wall that they rebuilt. Like, scroll through it. Start looking through the rest of chapter three. It's nothing but names and what they built, and then names and what they built, and then more names and what they built. So they had to work together. Let me show you what they were actually building. Here's the, the wall that they built as best as we can put together from scripture and even what you can find it today um, if you were there. So the very beginning of chapter three started with the priest at the sheep gate. So the very, very top of the screen. See where it says sheep gate? Right underneath that, what do you see? The what? The temple and the altar. So that's super, super important. That's important for later. And notice that it's the priests that were the ones that were rebuilding the sheep gate. The sheep gate was used, obviously, for the animals to come in, be sacrificed at the temple and the altar. And then you would go around, you'd see how they start building all these next parts, the different gates, the different sections of the wall, this side of the wall and this side of the wall. And each and every person, each and every family started to have their part of the wall that they began to rebuild. This is a big undertaking. All said and done, it's about two and a half miles of wall, an average of eight feet thick 
40 feet high. Two bricks, two trips. We can do this in a couple days, guys, said Nehemiah. <laughs> Kidding aside, though, they did this in, a, in just over 50 days. We'll find about, out about that here in a couple weeks. But the only reason they were able to actually do it is because they were all in to get it all done. Every single person that called this place home said, Nehemiah, I'm in. Which section of the wall do I need to take care of? Which part of the wall can, can I rebuild? Where, where do you want my family to help out? Where do you want our people to help? They were all in to get it all done. That's a great picture of community where you work together. Many hands make light work and many hands in this context are gonna be able to do something that would have been seen as a miracle. So they started to work together. They each had a different section that they were starting to build. I know I've mentioned it once already, but let me tie this in again for you. That's why this Wednesday night, our vision night is so important because what I'm gonna share with you is what's next for our church and what we are gonna start working towards together. And it does not work if it's just a few people doing a few things. And it's definitely not gonna work if it's just a few people trying to do everything. No, it's each and every one of us saying, hey, I'll do this part and hey, I can help out here and I can do this piece over here and then I'll work on this over here. It's gonna take every single one of us. So if you call local church Dawson your home church, it's gonna take all of us. If you can't be there on Wednesday, no problem. I'll be sharing more in the coming weeks or I'd love to sit down with you and share with you what it's, what, what's next and again, how you can be part of it so that we, like Nehemiah, can say we're all in to get it all done. So let's go through some of these names. We're not gonna read through every single one of them, but there's a few that I think stand out that, that really help us even interpret this more for today. So look at verse eight with me. Verse eight, so you got all these different people building different sections of the wall. Verse eight, we're introduced to a new group of people here. Next, Uzel, look, was a goldsmith by trade who also worked on the wall. Beyond him was Hananiah, a manufacturer of perfumes. They left out a section of, the Jerusalem, as, of Jerusalem as they rebuilt the broad wall. Raphiah, son of Hur, the leader of half the district of Jerusalem, was next to them on the wall. So here's what I want you to pay attention to. We're, we're in this case, we're getting professions tied to them. It's not just names and family name. We're also told what they did for a living. So we have a perfumer, somebody who makes perfumes. You have somebody that was a goldsmith, worked with his hands, but you also have a leader or a ruler. This person was actually in charge of a section of Jerusalem, the people there. And you know what they all had in common here? Not what their trade was, not what their talents were, not what their gifts were, not what they liked or disliked. No, what they had in common was they were working side by side. They worked together. I could imagine for the perfumer to hear Nehemiah speak. So here's the problem. We're going to rebuild the wall and it's going to take all of us. And I could just picture the perfumer saying, um, excuse me, I don't build things. Like I, I, I make things smell wonderful. So how about you all build and I'll just make it smell nice? Like that's not helpful in this, in this case here, right? The goldsmith could have said, yeah, like I build things, but not with like the stone and masonry stuff. Like if you need me to work with gold, if you need me to like forge something, then man, I'm your guy. But what you need is, is somebody that can work with stone. You need somebody different. You, you, you can't use me. Think of the ruler, the leader. Here's what Nehemiah says and responds back. Oh man, it sounds like you need some like, you just need some workers. No, no, I'm a supervisor. I'm a manager. 
I tell people what to do. I'm great at delegating. I'll stand back and I'll make sure the job gets done well. That's what you need me for. You, trust me, you don't want me to pick up a hammer, but I'll get people to pick up hammers for you. See, and I think oftentimes we hide behind our gifts, our talents, our abilities, and our professions to say, oh, you need a wall built? That's not me. You, needed, you need a wall builder. You need someone that's in construction, and that's not me. But hey, if you ever need somebody to make perfume, I'm your guy. If you ever need somebody to, to manage some other people, then man, I'm totally it, but you, you need people that can just build a wall. And they didn't do any of that. But I think we hide behind that often, where if it doesn't perfectly line up with our gifts, our abilities, our talents, our passions, then we say pass until we get that perfect fit for a way to serve others within our community. And here, very different professions. Said, you know what? I have never picked up a hammer in my life, but somebody teach me where to hammer. (laughs) Somebody show me what to do and I'll figure it out. Because in this, with this problem, they didn't need a goldsmith. They didn't need a ruler. They did not need a perfumer. They needed builders. And every single one of them said, I'm a builder today. See, everyone has a part to play. Everyone has a part to play. Even if it's a part that you don't love to play. Let me say that again. Everybody has a part to play, even if it is not a part you love to play. Let me give you a couple examples. When I just think of community, I think of our church, obviously. Let me just give you a few examples. So Mark, some of you know him, some of you don't. He runs all of our production, all of our sound. Do you know what he does by trade? He's a banker. And here he is running all of our production stuff. There's another lady that is an assistant principal at a school. Her name is Abby. And she greets families as they walk in the door. It's not their profession. Maybe it's not even what they absolutely love to do, but they said, no, is that what's needed? Then that's what I'll do. Evan, you saw Evan standing right over here playing guitar. He's in insurance sales. And here he is serving because that's what was needed. We go around the room of our team and how their professions and maybe even their talents don't necessarily line up for how God's using them today. Everybody has a part to play, even if it's not a part you absolutely love to play. Here's the next part. Verse 10. Verse 10. Next, Jediah, son of Haramoth, totally butchered that one, repaired the wall across from his own house. Now that's interesting. We actually see this several other times. If you read through, let's see, we got verse 23, verse 28, verse 30. And each and every one of them said, repaired a section across from their house, repaired the section across from his own house, repaired the wall that was immediately across from his own house, repaired another section rightly across from where he lived. Do you see the theme here? There's another theme, so it's not just tied to gifts and talents and abilities and professions, but you also have people that built the section of the wall literally where they were living. Their house was here, and so they repaired the section of wall in their front yard. And I bring that up, and I think it's written here to help us know where to start. Right? So often our heart breaks and we see brokenness around us and we just get so overwhelmed. We see the problems overseas. We see the problems in other states. We see the problems in people that are further away from us, not right next to us, not immediately family to us. And we think, oh, that's too bad. My heart breaks. But I can't do anything. 
and you get overwhelmed by all the brokenness and you don't know where to start. So may I give you a suggestion based on what we just read here. When you don't know where to start, start where you are. Right where you are. I'm sure there are plenty of problems that you could bring solutions to, that there's value you could add right where you are in the communities you are currently part of. Your own family, your own school, your own office, your own church, your own neighborhood. So often we try to look so far away and we miss where God has placed us today. So if you want to be a a servant, like we're seeing about all these people here, they're rebuilding, they're restoring, and God's using them. You're like, oh, I want that. Oh, I just don't know where to start. Start with where God has placed you now. Start adding value. Start serving. Start caring. Start loving. Pick up a hammer. And start building with where God has truly placed you today. Because I would say he's placed you there for a reason. Verse 12 Super important part. Parents, listen up to this one especially. Shalom and his daughters repaired the next section. He was the leader of the other half of the district of Jerusalem. I love that this is in here. It's almost smack in the middle of this chapter. This man and his daughters rebuilt their part of the wall as well. Parents, I'm going to talk with you just for a few minutes as a parent. It's so easy for us to just do it, do it on, our, on our own, do it ourselves, because why? It's a whole lot easier. We can get the job done a whole lot quicker if we just did it ourselves. And we tell our kids, stay over there, stop bothering things, I'll get it done a lot quicker. Every time we have to sweep the house, for some reason, my kids love to use the little Swiffer thing, which is kind of like a great thing. Like You would think, oh, that's awesome, they want to sweep. The problem is they don't know how to sweep. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 like all the dirt goes in one pile, not just spread out throughout the entire house. <laughs> so I have a choice, don't I? I can either say, stop doing the job and I'll just do it because I know it'll get done better and it'll be a whole lot easier. Or I can say, hey, let's do this together. And yes, it's going to take twice as long. <laughs> and yes, it's not going to be done to my standards. Oh, but we did it together. This man and his daughter's rebuilt and repaired part of the wall, and they did it together. They did it as a family. So parents, whatever is broken in your world, your life, and the communities around you, yes, you can add a lot of value, and God can use you in mighty ways. Don't forget your kids along the way, though. Take them with you. Have them serve with you. I mean, my goodness, let me just talk about church for a second. There's not a position here within guest services or in this room or, where you can't serve with your kids. In fact, if you're here long enough, one of our, our, our families, the Tangles, they serve coffee. You're going to see mom, dad, and then two boys all serving coffee because they serve as a family. They're, they're building something together. They're building something as a family. So parents, push against the tendency to just do it yourself because it'll get done quicker. But invite your kids in so that you can rebuild and build something together. Teach them how to do what you're doing. When you go and serve out in the community, one of the places we serve as a church is Meals by Grace. It's intentional that it allows all age kids to be part of it. 
so that we can do it together. You can do it as a family. It's not kids stay home so me and, and, and the adults can go and do our godly work. We'll come back later. No, it's I want to bring you along with me. So parents, whatever you start to find your next step in, please, like I'm truly pleading with you, take your kids along that journey with you. As you're building your faith, bring them with you. Here's what I'm reading. Listen to the words Brian tried to read in Nehemiah. That's funny, isn't it? <laughs> bring them along with you. Ask them questions after they get out of church today. What does that mean to you? What did you think about that? I don't know. Let's find out together. When you serve, serve as a family. Faith is not an adult thing. It is a human thing. So allow your kids to be part of what you're building with you. Not if you're okay with that, parents. If you'll be willing to press into that. It's so, so, so important. Don't leave your kids off to the side while you take care of the work. Repair the wall together. Last one we're going to look at together. Verse 14. By the way, if you want to bring your kids along in this journey as we're talking through Nehemiah, this next verse, parents, this is your golden ticket. You want to get your kids engaged in scripture, you read verse 14 to them, especially if they're elementary boys. Verse 14, the dung gate, there you go, that's all you have to say. And they're like, why, what do you say? The dung gate was repaired by Melchijah, son of Rechab, the leader of the Beth Hecarim district. He rebuilt it, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. We all know what dung is, right? It's 9.30 in the morning. I don't need to explain this. Don't make me explain this. You got it? All right. Let me put it back up on the screen. Beth, if you'll throw up the, the map again as far as what things look like. I want to point out a few, a few things that are obvious, but you might have not gotten. Remember, we started with the sheep gate, the very, very beginning of chapter 3. Super important gate. Had to do with sacrifices. The priests were the ones that took care of the sheep gate. And you'll notice that the sheep gate is super close to the temple and the altar. We pointed that out already. So if you go all the way down to the opposite side, as far down as you can go, everybody see where the dung gate is at? If you can't see it, it is the furthest point down. It is the farthest point away from the temple. It's the farthest place from the altar. And here, this man was in charge of repairing the dung gate. What was the dung gate used for? I won't go into details, but you could probably take a hint. All refuse, all trash, all sewage from inside the city walls came outside that gate and was thrown into what you see over here, the Valley of Hinnom. If you're reading in New Testament, that's the Valley of Gehenna, which Jesus actually used to describe hell. The worst possible place that people in Jesus' day could fathom and could wrap their head around and could visualize was that valley outside of the dung gate. So he said, you know how bad that valley is? Yeah, hell's kind of like that. Not literally, but trying to give people a mental picture that said, oh, I definitely don't want to go there. So that was the dung gate. And here's a man that was responsible for repairing that section. Now, we're told a little bit more about him, which I think is super important, and said that he is the leader of the district of Beth Hakarim. Now, the reason that's important is because if you knew, if you did any research on that city that he was in charge of, you'd find out two things about that city. It was very beautiful, and it was very important. It was beautiful. In fact, that name, Beth Hakarim, literally means house of vineyards. Beautiful landscape up in the mountains. Beautiful. It was important because it was actually one of the first responses if Jerusalem was ever to be invaded. They were sat so high up, they could see if an invasion was coming. 
So they were like the first alarm system that if they sounded the bells, that the rest of the city knew that they were about to be invaded. So it was a beautiful city, and it was an important city. And here's the man in charge of that city now working on the dung gate. It would have been understandable if Nehemiah said, hey, I need somebody to do the dung gate. Hey, how about you over there? You seem important, and you seem like you could do this. How about you do No, 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 no. I'm from that really pretty city. I'm a real important person. So can you find somebody else to work on the Dungate? That would make sense. He says, no, I got it. Happy to help. Whatever you need. And he continued to work on that section of the wall because that's what needed to be built. He said, whatever you need, I'll build it. There's a word that describes that. The word is Humility. And when it comes to our community, again, whether you're thinking family, whether you're thinking literal community and where you live, job, church, whatever aspect of community you have in your head right now, this holds true. Community is strengthened with humility. The opposite is also true. That community will begin to become fractured with a lack of humility. It doesn't take us long to think of examples of both of those. Fractured community and healthy community and humility is in the middle of both, either an abundance of it or it's lacking. So this man had humility and was willing to work on the part of the wall that would have been seen as the worst place to work, but it was still part of the wall. It still needed to get done. It still was important. It had a purpose, and he was willing to do his part and recognize that he was part of something bigger. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul is trying to get a very similar con concept to the early churches. He said this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Paul says, The human body has many parts, but many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. That's another language for the church. Verse 27, he reiterates it. All of you together, together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So the church, community, would like to think that we would, all of us would hope that this is a thriving, healthy, growing community. So if that's to be the case, then just like Nehemiah's story, it's going to take all of us, all of us in together, all in to get it all done. Each and every one of us has a part to play, even if that part we're asked to play isn't something we love to play. But we're part of it. We build with our family. It's not just certain people that work on it. No, we build our faith. We build our communities together as a family. And we do it with all the humility and grace in the world because of Jesus. So let me leave you with this one question. What's my part? What is my part? What is your part? As you think through the different aspects and the different environments you're in, the different communities, what is your part to play? At home, what needs to be built at home and how can you work together? Once again, in your job, at school, with your neighbors, at church, the greater community in which we live, what is your part? Because I'm not going to lie to you and say, well, it's super easy. It's just two trips. Two bricks, two trips will be done before long. It is hard work. But we get to spend the rest of our lives being part of where God is leading and what God is doing. We've been talking a lot about puzzles this whole series. 
the front of this puzzle looks great. Right? What it could look like when it's done would be absolutely gorgeous and beautiful in so many different ways. We said earlier, though, but when you open it up, it's just full of pieces. And these pieces can be overwhelming at times because of just the chaos and disorder. Don't know where to start. But what's interesting is each and every one of these pieces is very important. Can you imagine the frustration if you started to put this thing together and you had one missing? No! It would not be complete, would it? The same is true for the communities that you live in, your family, your church, your neighbors, so on. We've said them several times, that you play a very important part and you are a very crucial piece. And it is not complete, it is not whole, unless you are playing your part. Once again, it takes humility. Jesus gave us the ultimate example of humility. Philippians chapter 2, we're told about it. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That's the Savior we need. That's the Savior we follow as Lord and Savior. He modeled the way with humility. May we do the same as we play our part in whatever God is calling us to build. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much and for inviting us to be part of something bigger, to be invited to play a part in, in our family and our friends' lives, the people that we encounter daily, in the office at work, at school, through our kids' schools, through our church, through our neighborhoods. You have strategically and intentionally placed us in so many different environments around so many different people. God, I pray that we don't miss the opportunities that you have given us to restore what was broken. That with humility, we can play a part in helping others and serving you and once again building something that you're, you're organizing. God, we know that you're not done with us yet. You are not finished with us yet. So with all the humility in the world that you, through your son Jesus, demonstrated, may we follow in your footsteps to play a part, to be part of something bigger, to start with what you've given us, with where we are, and once again with humility, begin to restore what has been broken. In Jesus' name, amen.